Hello, and welcome back, or welcome for the first time, to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, and this is a podcast dedicated to play therapy and child therapy, coming at both of those things from a child-centered perspective. And before we get going on the show today, I wanted to take a moment to promote the two books I wrote recently, which are I Get Mad, which aims at witnessing and validating children and their difficult emotions, in particular anger, and on sharing, which names some of the difficulties for children in sharing their belongings with other people and figuring out the relationship between other people and the stuff that they own themselves. And I wanted to set up a giveaway for those two books, and if you would like to be entered into that giveaway, uh, I know that people listen to this all over the globe, and I'm willing to mail these books literally anywhere that is possible to mail them. Uh, Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever they call that now. That's the place where I can easily look at reviews. There's probably a way to look at reviews at other sites, but I don't have a way to go about doing that that I know of. And uh, thank you to the people who have already reviewed it, and your names will just already be in there. And one of them is Katel June. I hope I'm saying that right. That's the handle. And the other one is Becca Hart, who um, does great work with kids in Charlotte, both at her after-school program and through her coaching practice. So thanks to both of y'all for leaving a review already. And I'll do a drawing of those at the end of this month. Even if there's only seven people in the hat or four, I'll still uh, send out some books. So uh, yeah, if you're interested, leave a review. And without further ado, um, today I'd like to chat about regression and return to earlier ages or earlier developmental stages. And this is something that many children that I see do in some form in play therapy sessions and lots of children do it in their lives in general. Inside of a play therapy session, I typically see regression occur in, well, really a wide variety of circumstances. You could have a child who is doing some sort of animal play where they have gone pre-verbal and are using animal noises or that sort of thing as they communicate. They could be crawling around the room. They could be asking for a higher level of nurturing care during that time, or they could be an aggressive animal during that time. And not that all animal play neatly falls into a category of a child returning to a different stage of their development or regressing in some way. But if I have a child who's crawling around my room and who is using what is essentially noises, but not words to communicate needs, desires with me in any kind of way, I can view that internally as them regressing to a different state. Regression also takes some more obvious forms. You could have a child who has decided to make themselves a child at an earlier age and put you in the role as the play therapist as, say, like a parent or caretaker of some kind. You could have a child who does some nurturing play with like a baby in the playroom or something like that and providing that baby with different things, which is less directly about their experience, but it still is play that involves earlier stages of their development. I have even had a number of children who will 
Find a way to make a dark space inside of the playroom where no light can get in. And that then they fill that dark space with all kinds of soft things like blankets or stuffed animals or what have you. And create a little womb-like cocoon for themselves where they'll be curled up in the fetal position and just want to stay inside of that space. And I've even had a child go as far as to then want me to be on the outside of that space and just talking to them and speaking and then they could be inside of this womb and have someone speaking on the outside. And regardless of your views on how much of our experience in the womb then translates or is stays inside of us in some fashion, obviously not in our conscious memories, but in our unconscious memories, I, I certainly go about viewing that play as them returning to a place of safety, which in general is a easy way to frame regressive play. I don't, I can't say confidently that all regressive play can fit in this neat category of a child is feeling unsafe, insecure, something in the present, and then returns to a a developmental period where they did experience more safety and security. That, That might be the case for all regressive play. I feel uncomfortable speaking that far into their experience of what they're doing and saying that, yes, 100% for sure, this is what's happening. In either case, returning to that earlier emotional place is something that many children naturally do inside of play therapy sessions and naturally do inside of their lives. And we can at least, at the minimum, say that they are doing that for a reason. And that reason is that they have something to get out of being in that space, and they have something to get out of it in their development, and they may have missed something when they were at that stage, or they may, yeah, we can say that, they may have missed something when they're at that stage, and there is something there that is still for them to get and to find by channeling those early developmental stages inside of themselves. Children also often do this outside in the world. I'm sure many can think of experiences they have had with children where a child will start to use baby talk, say, or a child will do the animal thing I was describing where they're crawling around on the floor and they're asking to be taken care of in a certain kind of way. And the animal example, I think, is a a pretty neat thing that children are able to do if we're naming that they are regressing in that they're not actually embodying a baby. They're not saying that they want to be a baby or a toddler and be taken care of in that kind of a way or be treated in that kind of a way because more often than not, the adults in their environment probably won't be too willing to enter into that space with them. Like when children use baby talk, they are often told to talk like adults or talk like someone their own age. I I can think, I used to work in a wilderness therapy program and at that time would see teenagers there and they'd be out in the woods for, you know, 45, 60 sometimes days with a group of other peers and with people who were leading them on this trip, but they wouldn't have any contact with the outside world really. And, you know, being in the woods is uh, an intimidating thing. And the teenagers there would often use baby talk or something like that. And then the, and the way that I viewed it at the time, it was to, was often asked even by the therapist there to challenge that baby talk. I regret having that perspective and acting through that perspective at that time, because it seems what's really going on at that time is that that teenager is experiencing a lot of fear. 
and is returning to a place where they maybe felt a little bit safer and they're asking to be taken care of a little bit. They're asking for some support when they're using baby talk. And we can come up with all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't provide children with what they are asking for when they're asking for it. Or we could say that a child using baby talk does just need to be told to talk like an adult. But there are different ways to go about interacting with that space. Inside of a play therapy session, I will dive into that space as much as I can and have a deep respect for the child being able and being willing and being ready to go into that space. It can seem to me that when a child is going into that world where they are inhabiting an earlier stage of their being, that we have entered their unconscious in a more full kind of way. And if we, if this is a, say, a place that we need to go on our journey in therapy back to their wholeness as an individual, that we have started the time travel aspect of this whole therapy thing, where we have gone and started exploring their past. Maybe a similar kind of scenario would be if you were working with a teenager or an adult, and you could be spinning your wheels in the present, and then finally latch on and have something stick and begin talking about, say, the individual's relationship with their parents or something in their childhood that troubled them or how these emotions that they're feeling in the present have their sources way back since this person was six, seven, eight years old or a person who says that they have no memory of their childhood at all and then is able to recover some scraps of those memories. That this return to an earlier state of being for many people is an essential part of their therapeutic process. And for that reason, as a clinician, I will take it as far as I can and embody it as much as I can. And like if a child is suddenly a dog and they're crawling around the room, I will talk to them as if they are a dog immediately. I've had children be babies inside of the play and want me to be their father or their mother or someone like that and we'll get into that space with them. Uh, I've had children who want me to like feed them or hold them and I'm willing to do aspects of that. Obviously I still have like parts of my body that I don't want them to be near. I don't want to be holding them like full body but we can find ways to make that work or for them to have close physical proximity to me in order to go back to this place as fully as we possibly can. For that reason, I keep baby bottles inside of my room, I keep babies inside of my room, I keep blankets, I try to have as many things as I can that facilitate that regressive space. And I believe that that space really does have value. And I would never want to presume in these kind of scenarios that as the therapist, I know why a child is returning to this space. I can imagine why. Maybe when the session is over and I'm writing the session note, I can reflect a little bit on why they might be regressing there. But human beings are mysterious. Human development, as much as we try to catalog it and categorize it and all of those kinds of things, is also mysterious. How a person goes about healing or becoming whole again is mysterious. And once we're on this journey, the child is leading this journey and they have led it to this place. So I would not want to presume that they want nurturing inside of this play, even though that's often what children do want in that space. 
I would not want to presume that a child is going back really for any particular reason and to get focused in on that. But what I can assume and feel comfortable in assuming is that we have returned to this place for a reason and that creating as much space for this as possible is important, and holding what's happening in the room is important. When we first drop into that space, I'm not going to be talking about the present. I'm going to be focused on like, okay, what are you right now? Are you a baby? Are you an animal? Like, how can I talk to you? And maybe the way that I'm talking to you shifts a little bit to reflect that you are at an earlier period in your development or in your life or that you are processing things differently because you're not six anymore, you're three or you're two or you're one. And so the way that I would talk to a six-year-old is different than the way that I would talk to a three-year-old. The tone of my voice could be different. The language that I would use to communicate is different. And so as the therapist, we can embody the presence that we would have around a child who is younger with a child who is older and doing regressive play. And that builds a container and that builds a way of being with them and then they can connect to us as that younger being that still lives inside of them, that lives inside of them in such a way that they that this is a solid place that they can return to to get something that they've been lacking and so that they can feel whole again. I think it's an especially important thing for children to be able to do in therapy because of some things that I was mentioning earlier, like that when children use baby talk, they can often be categorized as being immature, or they can be categorized as being annoying, or the people in their world can want them to stop doing that and just not like it that they do that. And it would be easy for us to be judgmental of kids who get into that space. We could find it annoying. We could find it any number of things. However, as adults, many of us also participate in regressing to earlier behaviors. I think that this could be most easily pointed out in romantic relationships. People can often have pet names for each other. People can have like sort of baby talk-ish kinds of things between partners, I am guilty, I guess, of doing some of that in my romantic relationships as well. A shout out to my wife. And I don't think that that space of regression is foreign to us as adults either. And I think if we as adults can take a look at those spaces inside of ourselves, take a look at the times when we engage in some of those behaviors ourselves, that we can have at least a more nuanced and more empathetic understanding of children when they do that as well. And like with a lot of things that we've talked about on this podcast, you can fight a child's desire to move to a certain space. You can battle them on their emotions. You can attempt to get in these struggles with them about their experience. And in my experience, that just doesn't really do much. Besides, if you're able to do that strongly enough and instill enough sort of fear and discipline in them, then maybe they won't return to that space. They will probably have to return to that space in therapy down the road at some point to become whole again or just never become whole at all. But in those moments, it's not even like as a parent, teacher, watcher of children, caregiver, whatever, that you have to like fully embody someone who's interacting with them in a different space and provide this therapeutic persona. But you can also just let it be. You can say, wow, you're talking like you're younger than yourself right now. Or your voice just changed. Or like, maybe a a lot of children seem to go back to baby talk when they're expressing wants or needs or desires. Or it's like, oh, you want that thing and you were a little nervous about asking for it. And 
naming those things, allowing them to be, letting the child know that you're witnessing their experience will allow them to be in that space to get whatever they need to get out of that space to acknowledge their own discomfort around expressing needs or whatever it is that has inspired them to be in this place in the first place, and then they won't have to go to that place as often. Maybe they can become a more assertive person. Maybe they can become a less scared person. Maybe they can feel more confident and comfortable and more like a 6, 8, 9, 12-year-old rather than someone who is feels they have to return to an earlier age when something in particular has come up inside of them. And all of this regression stuff can get tied up in developmental stages, obviously. And, you know, I, I happen to like Erickson's developmental stages. They are, uh, in general at least interesting frames of reference for the experience of children and their development and the things that they might be struggling with at a particular period of time. And sometimes knowing what those stages are can be helpful in understanding what the sort of primary struggle of that child is at any given moment in time. When I use developmental stages, say when I'm talking to a guardian of a child, um, it will often be to normalize the behavior of that child. So using autonomy versus shame, for instance, or initiative versus guilt can help bring some awareness around like your child is learning how to be a person in the world, to have their own feelings and desires and do things and facilitating that space for them rather than trying to cut them off from those things is a, is a helpful thing to do. Or an in industry versus inferiority, like your child is looking to like Can I be a productive part of this world? And what does my work look like compared to other people's work? And they might be more focused on sort of like their comparison between themselves and their environment and that that's a normal thing for them to do. I never use developmental stages to pathologize a child. I really only find myself using them to produce greater empathy because I would never want to say that where a child is at is not the place where they should be or to attempt to get get the guardians or whoever to sign on to some idea that like or I wouldn't want them to come across with the idea that I need to try to help my child move through these stages and then I can do x y and z things to help them be better adults because that's usually what adults feel and think anyway is that that children need to be trained that children need to be taught that children need to be instructed or manipulated in some sort of a way to develop themselves as people and to go out and be people inside of the world. And I don't think that that's true. And developmental stages can be dangerous for that reason. I can think of children who are in some environments confident and comfortable and even appear to be, say, mature for their age, for lack of a better term or more mature than other children seem to be at that age and then they could be in other environments and be more scared or timid or hide behind people or they could be around some people and tantrum and around other people and be more flexible and that children are are very dynamic and that saying a child is at one developmental stage and not another developmental stage is simply neglecting all these other aspects of the child's experience and neglecting their dynamism as an individual and neglecting that they could be in some respects healthy and secure and comfortable and assertive and in other respects be emotional and reactive and incapable of regulation due to the amount of emotional eruption or fear or whatever it is that they have going on inside of them at the time. And all of that is to say that when a child is regressing in some fashion, whether that looks like play and they're regressing, and you can notice that with 
right? Going pre-verbal, crawling, a desire for higher levels of nurturance or that sort of thing. Baby talk. That as clinicians, we make as much space for that as we can. And that space is internal inside of us. And we might have a change in the way that we relate to them at the time. But in general, as adults, approaching that space from a place of curiosity, approaching that space from a place of let's see how this plays out. Or not even let's see how this plays out, but like, I don't have to block this. I don't have to try to change this. I don't have to tell them that they're annoying when they talk like that and other people might not like it. I mean, if your child's doing that constantly and talking in a way that's annoying to you, you could say like, hey, you can, you can, you get to choose how you talk. I'm asking you to take a break though, because I feel a little bit annoyed right now and I want a little space from your baby talk or whatever, whatever it is that, that you can do, but approaching it from a place of curiosity and approaching it from a place of like, okay, my child's in this space and this has just happened, right? Play just kind of happens. What a child decides to play is unique to them and unique to their experience. And if play is how we learn about the world and ourselves and how we develop and not just humans, but like animals play too, play is a central part of being a sentient being on this planet so that when your child enters this space of play, which is what you could say baby talk is, which is what you could say acting like an animal is, allowing them to do it and noticing what's going on for them and being open to that space being valuable can help your child get whatever they need to get out of it and... If you are annoyed by that baby talk, which lots of people are, baby talk is pretty annoying, especially when it's coming from someone who's not a baby anymore. It'll happen less. It'll happen less. And hopefully, if they do get what they needed to get out of it, they'll be more whole as a result. And that's all I've got for this episode of Playtime. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, If you're going to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever it is, you will be put into a drawing for two volumes of the Child Center book series. And you can check those out and other content out at barnettchildtherapy.com. And yeah, I'll see you next time. Thank you.